0: is flamestock with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960
1: the Fan. Alright, this hour is underway. It's Tuesday, March 14th. Welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit Calgary Lock and Safe com. Yeah, we're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Flames talk available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon or wherever you get your podcasts. And we kick off this hour by saying hello to our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli. He's brought to you by South Trail Chrysler with inventory shortages across the city. It's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. And uh And as we say hello to Frank Saravalli our NHL insider from Daily Faceoff and dailyfaceoff.com. Lots to get to. GM's meetings underway in Florida. But uh, before we get there, Frank, I got to get your observations on what we have seen over the last little bit with Jonathan Huberdeau and Daryl Sutter. Because this is a story that you've been talking about for a number of weeks now, and, and you've discussed publicly about you know, why was Jonathan playing on the right side as opposed to his natural left side. He gets moved back to the left side for Saturday's uh, Sunday's game against Ottawa. And there is some comments made by Jonathan, some comments made by head coach Daryl Sutter. Frank, I'm, I'm just curious as to how you've observed this whole thing and, and the last few days in Flamesland.
0: Well, it's just I think it speaks to how difficult the year has been for Jonathan Huberto in general. And look, uh, full stop, he hasn't met expectations, hasn't lived up to expectations this season. Um has has certainly uh, struggled. I don't know if it's the weight of you know the contract or coming to a new place and all the changes that you know took place for him in his life. I, I can't explain those. But I also think it's fair to say that at the same time, you know, playing on the left side has, you know, been bubbling under the surface for him and the ice time being significantly down from last season, two and a half to three minutes has been a challenge for him. And so I think it's fair to say that while he hasn't been at his best, the truth is that I, I think it's also fair to question whether he's been deployed and, uh, been used in the most efficient manner, given his talent and given his skill set. So, um, you know, it, there's no simple answer here to explain his season and frankly, the entire Flames season as a whole. But I, I think, you know, there's been lots of different points of friction, not just with Jonathan Huberto, but I think with a lot of other guys on this flames team that has, has made this year a bit of a challenge.
1: So we know that Jonathan hasn't even started his eight year contract and we know that Daryl Sutter is under contract for the next two. So I I guess in a lot of ways, it's just, these two have got to figure it out. These two have got to figure out a way to get on the same page because, you know, neither of them are going anywhere. It doesn't feel like, uh, in the very near future.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a challenge. I think it's a challenge for the flames that they have to figure it out because, this is a guy that you've committed a massive amount of money to. And it's a challenge for, you know, Daryl Sutter as well, because he's got his contract. So it doesn't really appear that, you know, and and Daryl Sutter is a proud guy. Like he's not someone that's going to take a back seat. You know, he's been, um, you know, certainly with his post game press conferences and the way he's tried to downplay it. I understand his, his thought process, but at the same time, um, he feels like he's doing what's best for his team. So he's making decisions, you know, not to be, you know, to draw draw a line in the sand or, or to be a stick in the mud, but it's to, it's to try and get the most out of everyone. I just think there's a lot of questions still to be answered about a lot of things about the flame season, yeah. you know, from, training camp right on from, you know, not just using Jonathan Hubert on the left side, but how much time Milan Lucic has spent in the top six this season. And, you know, the deployment of defensemen and which defensemen made the, the team out of camp and why you decided to say goodbye to some and, and, you know, how all that worked out, the, the deployment of goaltenders, like there's a million things that you can second guess. And, This is also at the same time, the reigning Jack Adams award winner from last season. So the, there's a lot of hands that are bloody in this mess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of responsibility to go around. No doubt about that. What, um, where are you on their playoff hopes? They're six back as as the interaction on Tuesday night. Uh they they've got Winnipeg that is really the only realistic team in their sights and they've got this Nashville team that doesn't want to go away that is kind of a stalking horse too. Where where are you on Calgary's playoff chances realistically? I think the math is daunting
0: and if there's a team in the Western Conference that has the ability to to get in, it's it's this Calgary flames team. They've got the talent. They've got the ability. They've got the goaltender. If he plays well, they've got the scoring to get there. If they, you know, can put it all together where I'm at on their playoff hopes in terms of a realistic outlook is I just haven't seen it. They've got on paper, one of the better teams in the West, but when you have two, three game winning streaks this season, one from the first three games of the season and the other from the first quarter segment of the year and and it's really you know win one lose two win two lose two it's been this up and down roller coaster all year i've yet to see any sort of significant you know tangible thing that i can point to with the calgary flames and say they're going to get in this team can do it they just they haven't been able to put it all together. And, and you know what? Sometimes that happens. Yep. Sometimes that's just your year. And we've talked previously about the idea of why can't this Flames team, you know, do what the Winnipeg Jets are doing this year. Yep. And I think that's a real, it's a real question to ask. I think the team is is going to have some changes to undergo this summer. But short of that, I, I just, I don't have anything, any proof to point to to say that they can actually do it.
1: Yep. No, I and I, I think that you're kind of in the majority when it comes to people in this city because it, it has been that type of year and it has felt like for the last number of months that this could be a year that it's just not in the cards. And and maybe you do have to reset, make a couple of couple of decisions in the offseason, and then see if this group and, and the important players, whether it's Markstrom or Huberdeau or Kadri or whoever, see if they're they're the guys that can bounce back and have the type of seasons we all expect this year if if they can bounce back and have them next year and I think Winnipeg is the best example of of a team that has most recently done that
0: yeah and, and the funny thing about Winnipeg is they really didn't make any changes yep and as inexplicable as last year was for the Jets I think you could draw a lot of conclusions and lines to this year you know you have a team that really beefed up its blue line last year in Winnipeg Um, their goaltending was just off and you know, you have Hellebuck who's a Vezina winner Markstrom who's been in the mix. Sometimes I think they should just rename the sport goalie because when you don't have the goaltending, you can't win. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge part of this year. It's not all on Jacob Markstrom, but I'd say 60 to 75% of their struggles this year come down to goaltending. Yep. How many yep. good periods have we seen this Flames team string together on nights that they don't win? And and it's not all the goalie, but like you, you give up a juicy rebound in the third period or you blow a third period lead. It's hard to it's hard to develop a lot of confidence.
1: Yep. Yep. And he's and- been
0: given every opportunity to too. That's the thing.
1: Well, and here we are, and it hasn't. It, it's it's the final quarter of the season where it's finally coming together for Markstrom, and he's looked like the guy that we've expected all year long. The question is, and and it feels like the the answer will probably be yes, but they have they've got an opportunity to to maybe flip that script, but it, it feels like it's a little bit too little, too late. But he's finally putting it together, and and you hope that that is just a sign of okay he's got it figured out and he remembers who he is and he can carry that into next year. Cause I don't think Jacob's going anywhere with three years nope. left on his deal and a full, not no at that price. Clause. Yeah, exactly. So,
0: well, uh, so here, so here's one thing, Pat, that um, I actually did a hit with Sportsnet central on Monday night. Yeah, And they said, did, did the Ottawa senators blow their playoff chances this past weekend? And my answer is no. Yeah. Like hurting, like losing those two games over the weekend, back to back. Yeah. That hurt. But this the Sens and sort of like the flames they they blew their playoff chances months ago yep it's it doesn't come down to one weekend. it doesn't come down to one week. The Stanley Cup playoffs and the excellence that is required to get in is is a habit formed over a long period of time. And when you're the Sens and you start six, twelve and one. It's kind of even miraculous that they've been able to dig themselves out of that and get mm-hmm. into this spot since, since that time, six, 12 and one, the sends since us Thanksgiving are the 11th best record in the league. That's a firm playoff team all year long, but the problem is you blew a third of your season already. Yep. And it turns up the heat. It turns up the pressure and the start, oddly enough, for the flames like sort of right out of the shoot was pretty good the first couple games. And then it was like they hit game five or game six and I don't know what changed, but you watched it. And it was like, this team just wasn't the same again.
1: Yep. Yeah. It was the, it was the best five. And one was the best start in franchise history. And it has been, they've been clearly uh, a, a, 500 teams since then and 500 is death in this league and you don't make the playoffs winning as many as you lose and that's exactly what we've seen from them since that five and one start
0: 575 is what gets you in yep Uh, historically and that's the the west is a little better than the east this year in terms of that bar to clear but that's Mm -hmm. the really disappointing part for teams like the Sens, the caps the the sabres it's, it's only going to take 93 points to get in this year in the East. That's the current pace. Yep. And you, you've only seen that once in the last decade, maybe twice.
1: Yeah. Uh, Frank Saravalli's with us. He's our daily face-off NHL insider joins us Tuesdays here on flames. Talk. Uh, what, uh, did we learn, or have we learned anything? I know that Gary Bettman is going to talk Wednesday at GM's meetings in Florida, but did, have we have we learned anything, uh, anything juicy from the GM's meetings uh, on day one?
0: I, I wish it's been a bit of a snooze fest in Florida, and as much as I would enjoy the sun and the sand and and the much warmer temperatures than what we have in in Philly and no doubt Calgary today, um, it's been a very quiet GM meetings, there has been a lot of talk and sort of no action. And sort of the refrain you always get, Pat, when you get to GM meetings is the game's in a good place. And I always rail against that sort of idea of complacency, especially from a business standpoint, because I think things could be so much better. But when you're talking about instituting more video review, everyone's head explodes. Like you don't, no one needs more of that. And that's basically what's on, on the agenda. It was video review. Should we start reviewing things like, you know, friendly fire, high sticks. If a, you know, player lifts a stick and it's a if it's his own teammate, but it looks like a high stick. Should we, you know, check that out on video? What do we do about pucks over glass? If the officials miss it, we're not talking about major things here. And the mm-hmm. other thing was, you know, fighting after big hits, 89% of the fights that occur when a teammate comes in to defend another after a big hit, the hit was clean. Do they need to police better with the instigator? The answer so far to all these things is, eh, they kind of shrug yep. and they're like, well, we don't, we would like to maybe see it tweaked a little bit, but not enough to the point where we're ready to, you know, go further to cross the line with more video review. So, uh, through the first two days, it's been very quiet.
1: Gary Bettman, are, are we expecting when he speaks any update on what this salary cap situation is going to look like and any clearing up of this whole escrow situation? That,
0: to me, is the biggest news item of the whole week. What does Gary Bettman say about the salary cap? And he, you sat down with him at the Dome uh, two weeks ago, three yeah, weeks, two ago? weeks ago? Yeah, about two weeks ago, yeah. And I'd expect him to say almost exactly what he said then on Wednesday, which if I'm paraphrasing correctly was something along the lines of the revenues this season, when they're all tallied up at the end, there's a chance that the debt could be paid off. It's more likely that it won't be, and that it'll be a small amount remaining, a manageable amount. And by the letter of the law that, you know, requires that the CBA, it calls for a $1 million salary cap increase. So a fourth consecutive season of a flat or frozen salary cap. Mm -hmm. No one wants that. No one wants to start next season and three weeks into it, pay off that debt. And then you say, oh, well, we could have just played this entire season with a more traditional salary cap number. I think owners are, Ready for change. And I think they're gonna push for it once they see the final projections and and what is coming down the pike. They've mostly been repaid ninety-seven percent, ninety-five percent, and players would like to see the cap increase as well. It's a win-win for everyone involved. So I think it's gonna come down to a negotiation this summer. It's gonna come down to Gary Bettman sitting across from new NHLPA executive director Marty Walsh and hammering out something that makes sense for everyone involved where the owners still get their, their, their debt fully repaid and players get the the cap increased and teams like the flames that yep. need that extra bit of money, given what they've already got committed with the Huberto and Uyghur contracts kicking in. They, they need the space it's time.
1: Yep. Yeah. Would it- It seems silly that, okay, we expected three weeks into the season to be paid off. So, yeah, pay it off and we'll increase the salary cap. It seems like a a pretty simple simple compromise, but simple compromise when it comes to the league and the Players Association isn't always – they don't always go hand in hand.
0: It comes down to leverage, right? And that's the thing is Gary Bettman knows everyone wants it to increase. So, unless he's getting something for it in return, there's no real reason for him to – you know, step out and, and increase the cap because he could just keep it the way it is. Cause that's yep. what the, the agreement calls for
1: a few more with Frank Saravalli, our daily faceoff NHL insider joins us Tuesdays here on flames talk. Uh, what was, uh, what was your reaction to the big news out of Philadelphia with Chuck Fletcher out and Danny Briere in as the interim general manager?
0: Not really a surprise in the sense that I think everyone around the league knew that something was coming in terms of a change with the Flyers in their GM role. the way this season devolved, the idea that John Tortorella was beginning to be the voice of this team publicly through statements and letters to fan to the fan base, and then the trade deadline itself, it sort of threw what was already a pretty toxic energy in the marketplace into overdrive and Look, there were protests, Pat, at Wells Fargo Center. Hmm. It's not just fire Chuck Fletcher. It was Comcast needs to sell the team. This is a corporate entity that it just doesn't have the same feel. It's a little bit soulless in terms of what it used to be. And that's that's been a real challenge for this team to try and overcome. In fairness to Chuck Fletcher, I think he dealt with a lot of things that were above him in the sense that things that were out of his control. The Flyers actually acknowledged that, but it was it was time for a change. And Danny Briere comes in as a former player that has been part of the organization for a while, someone that they think highly of, that has gotten most of his training on the business side of the operation, not the hockey ops side. And I fully expect that whenever this interview process is over that he's the man in the chair the next okay. time the NHL GMs convene in June. The real question is, who's going to be his boss? Who's going to be the president of Hockey Ops, if that even is his boss, as they decide to split this one overarching position into two? You guys in Calgary have seen how it could work uh, with Brian Burke when he was in the role as president Mm -hmm. of Hockey Ops. I personally, I tend to think you don't need it. But in this case, with it being a different style of ownership, a corporate entity maybe having someone that's in that spot that is, I don't want to say more political, but someone that's public facing can, you know, shake hands and kiss babies, go to the luncheons, hit, you know, all the different sponsorship circuits that you need, do whatever you can to put someone in place. That's going to take the heat off of Danny Briere and put him in a spot where he can focus on the team and building the team. That's what they need. And they need to clean up all the other stuff that's been floating around that team. Uh, to really get their fundamentals right because if they don't do that it doesn't matter who's in either role
1: frank uh how crushing a blow is that i know carolina was hoping that they might get good news on andre svechnikov they don't he's done for the year with a knee injury like that is an absolutely massive blow for a team that had legit eyes on the stanley cup
0: yeah and i think all that it's done now pat is sort of reinforce the idea i think unfairly from fans saying see if this team had just done more at the trade deadline they'd be in a way better spot who who sees one of your top players tearing an acl coming we don't have crystal balls and i think it's unfair to criticize people that way however um it is a massive blow and it what it does is if you were sitting at uh, a sports book you know, somewhere and watch that Svechnikov injury come in, I would have been fascinated to see what the change in odds was for a team like the New Jersey Devils to win the Metro. It changes the dynamic a bit. You take an elite shooter, a goal scorer, a shot threat out of their lineup and you take a team that, some say, well, they don't have a superstar and therefore are going to struggle to win when it matters most. You take one that's the close, you know, him and Aho are sort of the closest thing that they have to a superstar and you take one of them out of the mix. That really hurts.
1: Great stuff as always, Frank. What uh, GM's meetings wrap up uh, this week? Any like, are we are we keeping our eye on anything? Is there anything pressing coming up in the next little bit, or are we kind of all quiet until the playoffs and playoff races are about it? Here,
0: we've got seventeen days left in March. I call it mail it in March. It's the time <laughs> for me to uh, to rest up a bit before playoffs. And uh, in the meantime, either later this week or early next week, I'll have my top fifty free agents. Out that we can talk about, and there's always something happening. So, yep, uh, whether it's a Svechnikov injury or GM meetings or whatever it is, news is never far away.
1: Yep, appreciate the time, as always, my friend. We'll do it again next week. Sounds good, Pat. Have a good one. He's Frank Saravalli. He is our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk, and he's always brought to you by our friends at Self Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SelfTrailChrysler.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This hour continues with Pat Steinberg and Ryan Pike. Hopefully your Tuesday is going along nicely. It is time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op with new product families, member rewards and sale events. You'll find more quality, more savings in every department every day at Calgary Co-op and Pike, we know the Flames have dropped a lot of games against teams well below them in the standings this year. That's I'm not um, talking out of school, am I, when I say that? I think you're very much uh, talking in school. <laughs> Is that the term? <laughs> yes, I'm talking in school. Um, mm-hmm. Friday versus the uh, Anaheim Ducks was the latest of those examples. Another really frustrating night for the Flames, and they lose 3-1 in a game. that There just wasn't a ton of desperation, at least. Didn't look like there was a ton of desperation while watching that game. So they bounced back against Ottawa, and now they've got a game Tuesday night against the Arizona Coyotes and another night where the Flames just don't have any opportunities to drop these games anymore. If they want to even have a chance of making this interesting, if they want to have a chance of... Being even, even going into that game against Winnipeg at the uh, fourth last game of the season, if they want to have a chance of making that game interesting in and of itself and making it mean something, they don't have very many more mulligans left in them, and yet... It's been a real challenge for them all year long. I thought uh, I thought Troy Stetcher Tuesday morning gave a really good kind of breakdown as to why sometimes teams like Anaheim or Arizona, especially at this time of year, can be so difficult to play against.
2: I mean, I've been on teams that have been in their situation throughout my career in the past, and those are dangerous teams you want to play. Uh, you take your foot off the gas and, you know, um, I don't think they are playing as, with as much pressure, obviously. They're kind of playing free, so sometimes you know that works in their hands. So they've been on a nice run here. At the same time, uh, I think we're really focused on our game. We understand you know what we have to do to, to accomplish our goal at the end of the year. So we're running out of games here, so um, we're just focused on our game. And I think if we take care of our game tonight, it should take care of the result.
1: So that was Troy Stetcher after Tuesday's morning skate, and it's that first half where he's talking about playing loose and not playing with a lot of pressure and all that type of stuff. And let me tell you from very personal experience, being in that locker room Friday when the Anaheim Ducks were through the Dome that was the loosest locker room I think I've ever been a part of. The guys were guys were playing tennis with tape balls and they were running like yeah. it was like they, they have nothing to play for, but they're still professionals. They're gonna go out there and play. There's still some skilled players on that team, and they played as loose as possibly can be. And they yeah. played as if there was not the weight on the world weight of the world on their shoulders. And the flames played like a tight team that knows that every game means everything to them right now. So yeah. I just it was it was really interesting. Being in that room, and here's another situation where you're going into Arizona. Yeah, the Coyotes know they're not going to the playoffs, they know who they are, which means they're not playing with anything other than just some loose energy. And they're out there to go finish the season, having fun, and looking ahead to next year.
2: Yeah, and you, you and I co- have covered some Flames teams. Uh, I, I vividly remember that t- uh, 13 14 season, and even you could make a case for 14 15 if. No one expects anything of you. There's no pressure. And so you're not worried about making mistakes and you just play. And I'll give Anaheim credit. I mean, Anaheim, once they got that lead against the flames, they were like, Oh, cool. We're winning. Great. Let's just clog up the middle and make them work for it. And, the flames just could not get through their uh, the middle of the ice, and Anaheim, you know, full marks for them. They did what they needed to do, but they were also a team that you know, had Anaheim lost that game, was would anyone in you know in Anaheim be panicking? There, there is, there's no pressure there. There's no consequences. They they know they're in the middle of a building period for that team, and it's a lot of young guys who are new to the league, getting experience, and a lot of guys. You know, uh, case in point, Derek Grant. Derek Grant probably isn't in the NHL on a lot of teams, but he's on the ducks and he's playing really well and he's really taking advantage of the opportunity. And I think when you have guys at the top and the bottom of your lineup who are just, they're, they're excited to be there. They're mm-hmm. energized. They're pumped up and they're not afraid to make mistakes. It provides that kind of looseness throughout the the team where, you know, it's not like they're playing, you know, loosey goosey and not trying they're trying and they're having fun. And I think exactly. it, it really translates. And I think that's one of the challenges for a lot of teams where it's the flames. Like, I mean, you know, we, we've seen Flames teams when, you know, at their best play loose. And I think the challenge, I think probably the biggest challenge in sports uh, from a coaching perspective, from a locker room perspective is when things aren't going their way, when, you know, the, the, the verbal noose is tightening, for lack of a better term. How do you keep a room loose? How do you keep guys upbeat? How do you keep things from becoming, uh, to use a phrase, funereal? And it can be a challenge. And I think at times, you know, that's when you see teams start to spiral a bit. And the Ducks ain't spiraling. The, the Coyotes ain't spiraling. Uh, you know, there's going to be 4,600 very loud, uh, boisterous fans uh, at Mullet Arena on Tuesday night. The and
1: embarrassing I... Mullet Arena.
2: Oh, goodness. It better not be a long-term thing. We'll talk about that a bit more in May. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's fun, I hope it's temporary, but I think right now you know uh, Daryl Sutter mentioned it uh, when he's speaking to the media on tuesday afternoon after uh, after their morning skate mm-hmm. it's uh you know it's a unique atmosphere, and I think it does give the coyotes a bit of an edge, uh, especially
1: against teams who don't really play in that environment very often it's i just it's down to the point now where okay. I fully understand that the Coyotes are playing loose and the Flames are not. And the, the Coyotes don't have anything to play for and the Flames do. And look, I mean, Arizona just beat Minnesota a couple of nights ago in, in a similar situation. The Wilds still have everything to play for and maybe a number one seed in the Central Division. That's what they're playing for. So they've got, there's implications. Arizona, they go out and they play, they play loose, doesn't matter, right? And Arizona beats them in overtime. And now you've got this situation where the Flames have even more pressure on them because they're trying to just make the playoffs. And yet it doesn't matter. I don't care. You have got to go out there. And if it's an overtime, if it's in a shootout, if it is based on Jacob Markstrom being the number one star, I honestly don't care as long as they do it. That's the only thing that matters is that they got to get these two points. And whether it's, uh, what, they've got a couple more games against Arizona this year. They've got two more games against Anaheim this year. Like They still mm-hmm. have plenty of winnable games against teams below them in the standings. And this them hovering above or, or around 500 against these bottom dwellers, it's got to stop. It are, is time to figure this out as, now. As we're
2: speaking now, they have 73 points. They get 15 games left. Maximum amount of points they can get is 103. They need to be 95-ish in order to have a reasonable chance of making it.
1: And the Jets are on pace for like 96, 97.
2: Yeah. And so that basically that means, okay, so if you're the Flames – you might be able to lose two, maybe three, as long as one of those three isn't against Winnipeg. And you're hoping that
1: the the Jets' schedule continues to work against them. And you hope the Jets continue to keep the door open for you. If the Jets play below 500, then maybe that that number does come down to 95 or 94, and you don't need as many points. I mean, really, if you're the Flames, you need to keep this thing within striking distance. Yeah. But... To do that, and to, to realistically it. have a chance, these are the games that you've got to win. And maybe you maybe you go in and you beat Vegas too. That'd be gravy. That'd be awesome. And they're certainly capable of doing it. They've they beat Vegas once and they almost are two for two against them.
2: Yeah, and honestly, 80% of that game against Vegas, so the first two periods, very good. And then they completely ran out of steam. And I mean, the schedule is what the schedule is. Every team's got to go through it. The Flames got, what, 10 or 11 sets of back-to-backs. Uh, but these these types of games coming up the the, the Anaheim's and uh, Arizona's of the world for lack of a better term they are what we you know it's a cliche but these are the teams that playoff teams beat these are the types of games that good teams find a way to win yep. and the flames have been a find a way to lose team at times but in theory they learn something from those experiences if they if they're going to be the team they want to be and they if they want to be a team that's playing after the 13th of April they're going to need to take the, the hard lessons from those, you know, they lead the league in one goal losses. Okay, great. Doesn't mean a thing unless they can figure out a way to translate the lessons from those games into however many wins they need to punch a ticket.
1: And I don't know. I mean, they haven't been able to do it this year, so I don't know why we would be just ready to believe that it's it's going to just start happening, but there's still 15 games to go and everything remains on the table. And all of a sudden you rattle off some wins here. All of a sudden, maybe you do put a little more pressure on the jets and the predators. And maybe that, that starts to creep into the way they go about things. All the flames can do is win their games. And they've got nine games left against teams that are out of the playoffs. Now, one of those is Nashville, which I don't know if I would consider it quite the same. Cause Nashville has got a better points percentage than Calgary does. So I would say there's eight games against very winnable opponents and seven games against teams that are going to be a little bit more difficult. Cause I put Nashville in that, that seven as opposed to the, the. Yeah,
2: and, but if you do the math and you assume you hardly get any help, that means you basically have to run the table against the teams that you're supposed to beat. Mm-hmm. And then you probably have to win four or five of the games against the teams that, you know, are, are in it. And I mean, you know, uh, Every time uh, Derek's on the roundtable, he keeps expressing his uh, his optimism about, you know, if the Flames get in, they're going to be a tough team to beat. And I don't disagree with that because to get in, they're basically going to have to play playoff-style hockey against quite a few playoff teams in order to get in. And they're probably going to have to win, you know, hilariously enough, four of seven against playoff teams in order to get in. And, you know, if they do it, they probably deserve to be there.
1: Yeah. Well, and... They're going to need uh, more performances like they got from Jonathan Huberto and Nazem Kadri Sunday against Ottawa. Like, that's a blueprint there. They played really well in in that game against the Sens, and that's a blueprint for them to have some more success. And Jacob Markstrom, the way he's playing right now, gives them a chance to keep things interesting. But you can't lay eggs. Here's what I do know. Maybe you do lose one or two games between now and the end of the season against teams well below you in the standings, because that happens. But you can't do it in the style they did it against Anaheim. There's no more of the absolute duds yeah. against the bad teams. And that that's what they have to avoid. If you get goalied, if you play really well and you just don't get the result, different story. But no more of the absolute garbage efforts that we've seen against really... Bottom feeding team so far this season.
2: Yeah, you, you never like games, especially at home, especially where they are in the standings. And the the overriding uh, mantra in the locker room is, "We just didn't have it." Well, you that's better a bad. Have it. That's a bad thing to hear this yeah. time of year. So you're hoping we don't hear any more. We just didn't have it. Answers after games because they they can't afford not to have it right now. Uh, that
1: is our look inside hockey on this Tuesday for Calgary Co-op. The beer tastes better when it's bought from the place that cheers for your team. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. It's uh, Pike and Steinberg along with you as we continue along on this uh, Tuesday edition of Flames Talk. And you know if you're the if you're the Flames, you definitely laid out a blueprint for yourself on Sunday against Ottawa. So now. That's got to be something that we see more often. And what I mean by blueprint is you've got your best players offensively all picking up multiple points. Rasmus Anderson, Jonathan Huber, Donazem Kadri, Michael Backlund, a great goaltending performance. Elias Lindholm was in there. A great goaltending performance from Jacob Markstrom. And it doesn't need to be multi-point efforts from all those guys every night, but you need to see all of those guys being... Actual real driving forces for the Flames, which is not something that we have seen on a regular basis through 67. If those guys are all far more often than not the driving forces for the final 15, they've got themselves a chance of making it interesting. I'll, I'll go, I'll but go, but if one it's further. pick and
2: choose, they will not. I'll go one further. If the Swedes collectively have a good game, if you look back and go, Lindholm and Backlund and uh, Anderson and Markstrom, if you look back and go, all four guys had good games, you're probably going to come out on the right side of uh, where you want to be. Uh, if some of them are a little bit eh, then you might be in trouble mm-hmm. because those are the guys that touch every bit of the game that basically are the the heartbeat of the team. And if if they can... If they can drive the bus the way that, you know, like heck, by the t- by the time a non-Swede got a point in that game, the flames were up to nothing. Mm-hmm. And they'd had some really nice special teams moments. If they can have a bit more of that, if that, if those guys can do those types of things semi-regularly, I think they're in good shape. Yep. If they're if they're more of an uh, an
1: aberration, then they might be in trouble. Uh and um then there's the whole Jonathan Huberto conversation, which we have. And I want to close because you have not had an opportunity to uh, give your thoughts oh, on What it. happened? What happened to Huberto? He's uh, back on the left side, you know. Oh, yeah. And right on the right I side. I heard about that. Or, you know, there's been a couple of people who have mentioned it. There may have been some comments made by I, the player. And I, the coach. I, I recall writing oh. a thousand
2: words about that before they changed him over to the other wing. He
1: got two points on, on Sunday. And if that is what we see more of, that's good news. All I know is I think it is the right call to move him back to the left side. He clearly wants to be there, and maybe coach was a little bit too stubborn not moving him back there earlier. But now he's back there, and we know that Daryl Sutter and Jonathan Huberdeau have not been on the same page throughout this year. I think that's very fair to say. Now it's on Jonathan to go out there, and he's he's been moved back to the left. Now go and prove that that was the correct decision.
2: Yeah, because we've we've seen Jonathan Huberdeau regardless of what side he's played on, progress has come in fits and starts. There hasn't been the consistency, I think, either him or the coaching staff would want to see. You know, when, when they put Jacob Pelche on his line... They had three or four really nice games offensively, and then it sort of quieted down a bit. Even when you know uh, when he was put on the line with Milan Lucic, when the when December when he was moved to the right side to begin with, he had a, you know a few pretty good games. Uh, they had that one game where they got multiple points in San Jose, I believe. Yeah, and it was it was a very nice start. And was like, all right, okay, I guess he's in the right spot. And then quieted down. Yeah, I think the 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 challenge will be can Kadri and Dubay bring him out offensively a bit more consistently than his other line mates have. Because if Jonathan Huberto can find that mojo, find that rhythm, find that consistency, he's a really good player. That's why he was so good last year. That's why he had 115 points. But I think the lack of consistency in terms of role, in terms of performance, in terms of engagement, I think
1: that's why he is where he is now. He's Ryan Pike. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll start to wrap up this hour. Uh, Cam and Taylor have been our producers, and this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.